But this morning, we, we get to do something that is, in a sense, kind of exciting. We get to come to the end of a long journey together. That we are finally finishing the Gospel of John. That I started preaching through the Gospel of John the Sunday after Easter in 2021. And this is the 54th and final sermon looking through John's Gospel. And it has been a pleasure to dig deep into this beloved Gospel with you each Sunday morning. And so today, we're going to turn to the very end, to the end of chapter 21, verses 20 through 25, and bring our study to a close. So we're in John's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 20. We, this continues from last week where the risen Lord Jesus appeared to his disciples one day when they were fishing. They had breakfast at the beach. He had been talking to Peter, restoring and forgiving him for his sin of denying him. And we kind of pick up in the middle of that story as Jesus and Peter are walking and talking. So John chapter 21, beginning in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet, Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. As we come to the end of our study of John's Gospel, we pray, O oh Lord, that You would still speak to us. That it is good to read through Your Word. It is good to, to see how You, O oh God, have inspired these authors to write Your Word. That these are indeed Your words. And that You still work through Your living Word by Your Spirit. And so, God, I pray that in spite of my own sin and weakness, that You, O oh God, would speak today through Your Word. Spirit, I pray that you would use me and that you would speak and that you, O oh God, would open our ears to hear, open our hearts and minds to receive your word, that it would indeed be profitable for us, that it would make us wise for salvation, that you would equip us for every good work that you have prepared for us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we are all people who tend to compare. We are good at comparing, most of us, I guess. When deciding on where to eat lunch after worship, we compare the various options of where we could eat. And, oh, no, that church gets out earlier. That restaurant's going to be packed. Or we can't go there. Their specials end at this time. 
When deciding on what car to buy, we compare the various features of different automobile makes. We're looking for the right car for us at the right time. When deciding on where to go to college, we consider the locations and climates and degree programs and where do we want to go to school, perhaps even the tuition price we compare. When voting in an election, we compare the candidates and their proposed policies and changes that they want to make. And so this ability that we all have to compare is often incredibly useful. But sometimes we take comparison too far. That we are prone to compare things that we don't get to choose between. For example, we may compare our physical features like our height, our hair length, our skin color. And we may prefer someone else's height to our own, but we don't get to choose our preferred option. And this tendency for us to want to choose what is unchoosable becomes especially problematic with God. Instead of being content with what God has given us, we can compare what God has chosen to give us with other options that we would prefer to have. And then we end up begrudging God. This is the issue that John is addressing at the end of his gospel. It's our sinful tendency to be discontented by comparing what God has chosen for us with what we would have chosen for ourselves. So I want to show two ways that this sinful tendency to try to choose the unchoosable is bad for us. Two ways we see this in our passage before digging deeper at why we feel we should have that right to choose. So the first way we are tempted to be discontent is by comparing our circumstances with the circumstances of others. Last week we read in verses 18 and 19 that Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, you are going to be crucified just like I was. And so Peter receives this very unwelcome news that great suffering lays ahead for him. That he would be executed in the same way that Jesus was. And I think we can all agree that dying the excruciating death of a martyr is not a good circumstance. We would not choose that circumstance. And so shortly after Jesus tells him, this is what's going to happen to you, Peter looks around and sees John walking. It's like, what about that guy? He wants to know if John would suffer the same fate. Would they both have to face martyrdom? Was crucifixion to be the fate of them all? But here's the deal. Peter is not asking out of simple curiosity. He wanted to compare his future circumstances with John's. See, Peter wasn't particularly happy knowing that he was going to be crucified. And if he knew that John didn't have to face that kind of death, Peter would be tempted to compare God's plan for him with God's plan for John. And think, why does God like John so much? And I am destined to be crucified. But if he were to hear that John would suffer the same fate, then Peter would feel like, well... I guess I can't really complain if the other guys have to get it done too. That seems fair to me. You see, Peter knew that God was in control of whatever happened to him. 
He knew that God was in control of whatever happened to anyone else. And so in these moments of discontentment, Peter was tempted to compare his circumstances with others to see if he could blame God for not getting the better things that other people had. I'm sure this didn't happen when things were good. And he's like, man, things are great. Oh, I wish I had those worst things down there. No, it happens when things are bad. When your circumstances are hard, when life is hard, we start comparing with other people who don't have it as hard. And we are tempted to do the very same thing. When our life circumstances are bad, we look around and wonder why it is that this is our problem and not others. Why did I get laid off when my coworker didn't? Why did I get injured before the big game and my teammate didn't? Why did it rain on our fun day and not the other school's fun day? You know? Why did I test positive for COVID before this event and this person didn't? Why did I get cancer, but that person over there did not? Now, these are understandable questions. They're fair questions to ask in a sense, but the problem is they often come from a place of self-pity. We feel that we deserve better. And when we don't have what we feel we deserve, we grow jealous towards those who are suffering less and we grow bitter towards the God who has sovereignly given us these circumstances. And so when we compare our circumstances with others, we are feeding the sinful desires of envy, jealousy, and covetousness. And Jesus is trying to shake Peter out of this. And so in verse 22, he says about John, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. That's about as close as Jesus ever gets to saying it's none of your business. Jesus tells Peter to stop looking at the circumstances of other and instead, hey, focus on following me. He's supposed to keep his eyes on Jesus instead of cataloging the comparisons of circumstances between him and other people. And that's because when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we are less concerned about our circumstances and those of others because we see what we have in Jesus. We see that we have forgiveness no matter how badly we fail. We see we have a Lord who abundantly provides no matter how poor we may feel. We see that we have the promise of eternal life in heaven no matter how hopeless our future may be. When we see we have Jesus, we can stop comparing our circumstances because nothing compares to having Jesus and belonging to him. And so Jesus is trying to show us here in this passage, trying to show Peter that we need to stop comparing our circumstances and be content. That's the first way we see this desire for comparison creep out in a negative way in our passage. And the second way we are tempted to be discontent is by comparing what we find in God's Word with what we would like to be in God's Word. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there are two basic ways that we can be discontent with God's Word. One, we want God's Word to say something different. And two, we want God's Word to say something more. Something different, something more. That instead of being content with what God has spoken to us in his word, we compare his word with what we would like him to have said. 
We see this desire for something different in verse 23, where John writes, So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. And yet, Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is a really weird part in the Bible because John is essentially trying to squash a rumor that was spreading about him. And he's doing it in the Bible. It's just one of those like weird, you, you get a sense of what life was like back then, that he has to squash this rumor. That some people interpreted what Jesus said about John to mean that John was going to be alive when Jesus returned. But as John notes, that's not what Jesus said. Now, this misunderstanding could have very easily been attributed to one of those games of telephone where the saying gets distorted as it is passed on to more and more people. But I think we also need to consider why people would have distorted this and wanted to misunderstand it. They wanted a guarantee that Jesus was coming back soon. And man, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus had said this different thing? That I'm coming back before John dies. That would be really hopeful. You see, the Christians were not content with what Jesus had actually said. And so they clung to this different word that they wanted Jesus to have said. They wanted this different thing to be true. And especially because John was really old at this point. Like, man, that guy's hobbling around. Jesus is coming back soon. They really wanted that to be true. Well, sometimes we can do this. That we can compare what God has said with what we wish he had said differently. We wish the Bible said that God would bless his people with a comfortable life that didn't involve a lot of suffering. But the Bible says something different. We wish the Bible said that Christians wouldn't face much persecution for their faith. But the Bible says we will. We want it to say something different. We wish the Bible said that all people will eventually end up in heaven and nobody goes to hell. But the Bible doesn't say that. We just want it to say something different. We wish the Bible said different things because we are not content with what God has spoken. And so we want the Bible to say something different, but oftentimes we want the Bible simply to say something more. That we're okay with what's in here, we just need like an addendum, an appendix, something to just add on there. The book of Eric's life that tells Eric everything he needs to do. That would be great, right? You know? I mean, for me, you guys, it would not be interesting for you. But John talks about this in verse 25. He says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John is essentially explaining his editorial decisions. That he could not include every single story about Jesus. Here is the 7,000 volume life of Jesus. Like, no, like we'd never get through it all. You guys wouldn't read it. I wouldn't read it. That's way too long. And so the Holy Spirit inspired him and the other authors to include the information that God wanted them to preserve for his people. I'm sure we've had moments where we wish the Bible said something more. We wish the Bible said something more personal, giving us insight into the specific challenges we face. We want the Bible to 
more clearly answer questions that have divided the church. Like, should we baptize babies or not? Like, just one sentence, yes or no. Just put it in there so everyone would agree on it. It's not in there. We want the Bible to explain things that came up later. Like, how does Genesis 1 fit with scientific discoveries? Can we just get a little appendix, God, on how to fit that in? We want more from the Bible. But God says He has given us what we need. We see that in our New Testament reading from 2 Timothy 3. Paul writes to Timothy that the Scriptures we have, they make us wise for salvation. In other words, the Bible is sufficient for us. We have everything we need to know to be saved in the Bible. He also writes that the Scriptures equip us for every good work. So what we read in the Bible is adequate. It is sufficient to teach us and train us to go and do every good work that we will need to do in life. The Scriptures tell us everything we need to know in order to live faithfully for Jesus. We may want more, but God calls us to be content with His sufficient Word. The problem is, contentment is not something we are great at. We really like to compare. And we have trained ourselves to do comparisons all the time. And in fact, we're quite good at comparisons. We are usually wise enough to compare restaurants and cars and political candidates and colleges and all those things that we are capable of reviewing the data, considering our preferences and making a good choice. But these two areas in our passage the circumstances of our lives, and the content of God's Word, we are in no position to compare what is with what could be. Consider the reading from Job this morning. Job was a godly man whom God allowed to suffer greatly, and he was frustrated and he complained about his circumstances. That even though he trusted in God, he compared what had happened to him that was awful with what other people were experiencing. He felt like he was owed a better life in a sense. And when God finally responds to him, he says, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Fault finder, I think nitpicker should be in there. It's a, my preferred translation. Fault finder doesn't sound as fun. It sounds like an actual job. Nitpicker is better. See, the dominant idea of this last chapter in Job, these last chapters, is that Job is in no position to make such comparisons. Job, you are not wise enough. Job, you are not powerful enough to be able to actually weigh these different options. See, our idea of fairness is limited by the fact that we are finite creatures. Our idea of fairness is even corrupted by our sin so that we extend more grace to ourselves than we do to others. Our idea of fairness struggles to uphold both justice and compassion. We are not good at these things. We have no right or ability to compare what God has given us with what we would prefer to have. And so God says to Job in verse 8, Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? 
See, while we may agree in principle that God cannot be wrong, we sometimes are like, eh, you could have done that different. And Job is saying, or God is saying to Job, no. I have acted rightly and wisely in all things. And so this rebuke to Job can leave us feeling kind of downcast. It makes it feel like God is kind of saying to Job and to us, shut up and deal with it. It's like we're kids again. And we ask a question and our parent says, because I said so, that's why. And that feels very unfair to us. And I get that. It feels unfair in a sense to me as well. But this is actually one instance where we need to use our ability to compare to correct ourselves. How does our idea of fairness compare with God's character? Are we better equipped to sovereignly guide the circumstances of every person on the earth? Or do you think an infinitely wise and perfectly loving God is better equipped for that? Are we better equipped to know what God should speak to us in His Word, or should we trust the all-knowing God to know what is best to speak to us? It's really no comparison. And as John comes to the end of the Gospel, we should remember the Jesus whom John has written about. You see, if this Jesus that we have read about over the last year is really sovereign over all the circumstances in the world that we face for our good, then can't we trust that guy over our idea of fairness? If the Jesus who said all of the wonderful things in this gospel is the one who decides what is in Scripture, can't we trust his choice over what we'd prefer to hear? In fact, After we have read all of John's gospel, what more could we possibly need to hear about Jesus and from Jesus to trust him and follow him? If this Jesus who compassionately cares for the outcast and boldly speaks the truth and forgives sinners like us, if this is the God who sacrificially loves us and is over all things, if He is the one ordaining the unchoosable things in life, can we not be content with His choice? Can we trust this beloved Son of God in all things? See, every day we are tempted to look around and compare our circumstances with others. Let us instead look to Jesus and His character. Trusting that we have a Lord who is good to us. Let us look at our incomparable God and His amazing love for us in Christ. And let us be content that He says to us, You follow Me. The God of the universe who has blessed us in so many ways has said, I know there's a lot else going on. Follow Me. Trust Me. Come with Me and follow My Word. Know that whatever hardships and difficulties you face, I know about them. They're going to work out for good. I'm working all things for that. Follow me. Trust me. Because on this path, you are following the incomparable. There's no need to look around. Look to me. 
Look to Christ and let us follow Him. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank You for all that You give us in Christ. We thank You that You have led us through Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You call us and challenge us in so many ways. So God, I pray that You would help us to look to You and fix our eyes on Jesus. That as we leave our study of the Gospel of John and move on to other things, that You would remind us of this Jesus we read about. This Jesus who reigns in heaven. This Jesus who promises us eternal life. This Jesus who is sovereign over everything that happens to us and others. Strengthen our faith, O Spirit. Help us to trust more. And help us to follow. For we know the way is hard. But we know also You are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.